With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome in, everyone, to the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I'm joined by Travis Ryer, the longtime senior analyst. I think now the 15-year senior analyst at Fantasy.com. <laughs> and the daily 17, video. 17, but who's counting? Who's I, counting? Shorted, I, I shorted you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Every Time day. flies when you're having fun, you know. <laughs> the radio host of Southern Fried Sports as well at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa weekdays, 11 to noon. The Talking Tide podcast available to you at podbean.com. That's our web host. Also get it at various apps, including iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. The Talking Tide Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide, and of course, our fine sponsors, Heat Pizza Bar, North River Dental Associates, and Southern Ale House. More on them later in the program. We begin, Travis, uh, with a preview of Alabama's forthcoming game against LSU, a game that, of course, was previously scheduled and rescheduled. Alabama comes in 8-0, and LSU coming in 3-4. and It's a 7 p.m. kickoff. going to be aired by CBS, and Travis, this is... Uh, an LSU team that really in a lot of ways kind of comes limping into this game. It is at home uh, for LSU, but uh, some wide receiver woes really that stretch back to the beginning of the season with Jamar Chase, but even here lately uh, it bites again. And and, uh, this LSU passing attack that was so unstoppable just one year ago is a complete, completely different look now. That's for sure. Yeah, and oh, by the way, the starting quarterback, Miles Brennan, has been out since about, what, week two or so, uh, injured in that loss at Missouri, uh, put up some big numbers in that game despite a, a significant abdominal injury. So it's not only the deduction of talent that we've seen at the wide receiver spot, as you outlined there, but uh, the, the trigger person, the trigger man in this offense. You're talking about two true freshmen now and T.J. Finley. And Max Johnson, the offensive line is not performed to a level where you can lean on your most talented group of players, your area where you have the most ability, I would say right now, and that's running back. So uh, unfortunately, you're having to lean much more on true freshman quarterbacks. And as you as we just talked about a depleted wide receiver core at this point, you've got Eric Gilbert, an outstanding true freshman tight end. That will certainly be a part of the plan for Saturday night. Uh, you've got some youthful uh, potential there. Uh, Keishon Boutte, a, a freshman wide receiver, I think, is a guy we're going to learn a lot more about in the coming years. But for the here and now, it is anything but the ideal situation for the LSU offense. A, a close relative of mine who attended LSU, I spoke to this this relative on the phone less than two hours ago and, and was told, quote, over on Tiger Droppings, some people are already calling for Ed's head. <laughs> and I, I mean, I he's not, he, <laughs> you he's had not the best even getting the Chiswick grace period. 
You know, uh, you, I mean, you had the best team college football's ever seen eleven months ago, and now there's some crazies out there that want to head out. You know, what in the world? Yeah, I mean, you almost feel sorry for the LSU folks because it was. I mean, it was a team for all time, and they were just really getting to celebrate it, and then the pandemic hits. So even if you know you're going through struggles in a football season, like LSU obviously is. Um, we know the way those folks like to pregame and party. At least they would still be able to have that aspect uh, of the game day experience. But now with the pandemic, they haven't even been able to do that. So it's been certainly the the double whammy, at least for for LSU fans this season. What do you think of what you've seen thus far from TJ Finley, the freshman quarterback for LSU, who's kind of taken over here under some really trying circumstances? Yeah, you said it, trying circumstances. And again, if you could lean more on the run game, that would obviously be beneficial for these young quarterbacks. But LSU right now ranks 13th in the SEC chase and rushing offense. So, uh, you know, there's not that to to be able to, you know, prop up uh, Finley or Johnson. And so uh, you're having to ask those guys to do more than they're certainly ready to do right now. And again, when you look at, When you look at Alabama LSU last year here in Tuscaloosa and Joe Burrow throws for 393 yards, well, going into the game Saturday night, of those 339 yards, you're going to return, you're going to have one player who caught a pass for six yards in the game here in Tuscaloosa. That's it. That's all we're talking about. That's, that's, That's just on the receiving end. That's before we talk about Joe Burrow. And, of course, Clyde edwards Alar. Uh, you know, I don't think last year's LSU offensive line was all time. Now they had multiple guys move on to the NFL, Cushenberry, um, you know, and, and, and the interior players specifically, uh, Sadiq Charles uh, tackle. But, you know, they had a they had an eraser, you know, even when the very few occasions things didn't go well for Joe Burrow or those wide receivers and even Thaddeus Moss at tight end last year. Boy, Clyde Edwards, a could he could make things right in a lot of different ways there in the backfield. No doubt about it. On the defensive side of the ball for LSU, hadn't been the same LSU defense by any means either. Travis, a couple of guys, though, that have had really nice seasons for the Tigers on that side of the ball. Certainly, Derek Stingley Jr., one of the very best players in all of college football, regardless of position. Good shit. Fairly easy to call him the best corner in the country. I think he is he is that good, a, a true shutdown guy. He's a sophomore. Uh, and then, of course, uh, another one who I think is, has played well is Jabril Cox, the linebacker who transferred from North Dakota State. And here's a guy who came in, Travis, and a lot of people wondered, could he make that FCS jump straight into the SEC and acquit himself well? I think he's done exactly that. I think for the most part, this is a guy who's, at least from an NFL standpoint, is playing with house money going into this Alabama game. I would think so. 6'4", 231, playing weak side. I mean, that's that's some ideal size there. And he showed you just last week. I, you talk about tape matchups, and we'll talk about Devontae Smith versus Derek Stingley in the rematch from a year ago in that regard because Devontae lit up Stingley pretty good to the tune of 203 receiving yards here in Tuscaloosa. But just last week, Cox, if you go back and you watch the LSU loss to the Aggies, uh, in terms of what you're talking about, what the folks at the next level want to see, he was really good when given the opportunity against Weidermeyer, one of the the best, better tight ends in college football. 
uh, for Texas A&M and three pass breakups last week for Jabril Cox. And so, uh, yeah, he is, he is that guy. When you talk about today's linebacker and needing be needing to be able to play in space and in coverage, uh, I'd say even last week he helped himself. What about that Stingley Smith matchup? A lot of eyeballs going to be on that one. No doubt about it. Smith just seems to bring up 150 to 200 plus a, a week now. It, it, if he get, it's almost like if he only gets a hundred, it's an off week for him at this point. Uh, that's, that's how hot he's been. No doubt. You talk about the last three games, um, you know, just some really eye popping numbers, 27 catches, 518 yards, that's 19.8 per catch, and eight touchdown catches just in his last three games. So you start to do sort of these career mark countdowns for guys like Devontae Smith and Najee Harris as you get to the end of the season here. And Devontae's 38 career catches behind Amari Cooper for the all-time lead in that area. And he's 280 yards in terms of receiving yards behind Amari. I mean, there's a chance, a good chance, I think, for sure, where yards are concerned and and certainly where grabs are concerned, too, that by the time it's all over with this season, Devontae Smith could hold them all. Career touchdown catches, career receptions, career receiving yards. Steely's got to be looking forward to this one from a revenge standpoint. As you noted last year, uh, rough, rough game for, for one of the elite corners in college football going head-to-head with Smith. Yeah, you know, and and they kind of okey-doked him on the one. You know, they got him looking uh, to the sideline, and they kind of quick-snapped him and beat him deep. But then there was the 85-yarder late in the game that kept Alabama around. It was a perfect ball from Tuatanga Viola, but Devontae got just enough of an edge to – complete that play and yeah I think there's no doubt I I think LSU in terms of just coverage at the corners and also that star position uh, they're in pretty good shape Cordell Flott last weekend last Saturday against uh, Texas A&M very impressive performance against the Aggies Uh, Eli Ricks is a true freshman that is sort of being counted on to be the next Stingley even though Stingley's only a sophomore Um, he's been really good. He actually leads LSU in interceptions. But when I watch LSU this year, it's not even the intermediate to deep stuff that's been a problem, although they busted some coverages in those particular areas. You saw Anthony Schwartz of Auburn a few weeks ago. I think it was 91 yards he ended up scoring from uh, on a deep ball, in which they busted it uh, between Sertan and the safety. Uh, But when I watch LSU, it seems more like they've struggled with the quick game. You know, just the quick stuff out to the perimeter. And, you know, we saw just last week from from Alabama and the win over Auburn. If if you really try to close the middle of the field, you know, they'll go to sort of that that quick game and the screens and then the screening goes. And uh, their, their guys do such a good job blocking out there, too, that, you know, there's so many different ways that, that these Alabama receivers can beat you. A little extra time for both programs to get ready for one another, Travis. I know when, when one of the first comments Nick Saban made about the LSU game is that we already got three days of practice in against these guys, and we're starting a fresh game week. <laughs> so, uh, it, but the same advantage, of course, goes to LSU. It cuts both ways. But, but uh, you, you wonder if 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 Nick's uh, wondering what to do with his time uh, this week at some point. 
Yeah, he, how many times have we heard him before? You don't want him to play the game or you don't want your team to peak too early. Well, he may have to actually manage that this week. But look, after the events of what happened here, uh, you know, a year ago last month and the manner in which LSU didn't exactly uh, go about it subtly, subtly in terms of its celebration here in Tuscaloosa, uh, I think uh, whether you play tomorrow afternoon or Saturday, Alabama's players will be ready. Spread 29 and a half, about as fat as number as you can imagine in an Alabama LSU game. Coming right off a week, Travis, where Alabama was favored by 24 in the Iron Bowl and covered. They did. A little bit of a scare there late because you hate to see Bo Nix, the ultimate competitor. Backdoor Bo. You know, with a, with a cha- backdoor Bo. That's what you worry about there. Absolutely. And so uh, Alabama sort of dodged a bullet there late with the with the points. But it is amazing to see that number go from 24 and a half on Sunday night up to 29 and a half, as you said, by Wednesday morning. That's that takes that takes some cash, Chase, to move it five points, doesn't it? Uh, Does Terrace Marshall account for maybe two of those points by himself? I, I I think it, it certainly doesn't help. And, you know, again, when you look at LSU right now and without Terrace Marshall, you wonder where did the points come from? And the last time Alabama went down there against Joe Burrow and a lot of the guys that helped make up that offense from a year ago, oh, LSU didn't score with those guys, you know? So if you're looking at this LSU offense – you're kind of wondering in this Alabama defense seemingly rounding into form at the right time of year, you're starting that line. You're starting consideration for that play with, okay, how many can LSU really score in this game? And then you look at Alabama and you think Alabama's going to score 35 plus because they've done it in what now 21 straight games. Yeah. So if you look at this as sort of, I'm not sure LSU can score. And Alabama's going to score at least 35. I, it, it starts to make even some sense. There's sticker shock, though, when you see that number initially, no doubt. No question about it. A little bit more news around Alabama football this week. Christian Harris, Travis, named a semifinalist for the Buckus Award, which, of course, goes to the top linebacker in all of college football. He's one of 16 semifinalists nationally. And, uh, you know, one thing I've – First thing I thought Travis was was, you know, at least in terms of reputation, you'd have thought Dylan Moses might have the same, uh, might be the 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 favorite of those two anyway. At least in terms of notoriety to make a cut like that. I went and looked at the numbers, and you know, the numbers are remarkably similar. They've made almost exactly the same number of tackles, roughly the same number of tackles for loss, roughly the same sack production between those two guys. But the Buckus people, look, they, they, they look at a lot of linebacker tape and they know what they're watching. They liked Harris over Moses. Your thoughts on, on that choice? Well, he definitely flashes more, or he has this season. Um, and, you know, he's really closed the gap and actually taken the lead over Dylan Moses by a tackle, I think, in terms of, the team lead in that area. He had eight more, I think, against Auburn last Saturday, a couple of quarterback hurries, a pass breakup. So you're seeing him in multiple areas of the game show up. And 
you know, it hasn't been easy for Dylan this year. And we've outlined some of the reasons for that. Certainly coming off his injury, that uh, made things tough. And not only that, but probably even more so just trying to become the guy at Mike Linebacker, which makes for an interesting scenario that we will undoubtedly talk about a ton over the next eight or nine months is does Christian Harris become the guy you look to move to the Mike position post Dylan Moses uh, chase or, you know, I, I think if Dylan Moses is Dylan Moses, if, if all Dylan Moses had to worry about this year was just playing a weak side linebacker, I think we'd probably see different numbers from Dylan Moses. I, I think the, the combination of coming off the injury and taking over at the mic uh, has, has been uh, tough for him at times. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the, the progression goes with Christian Harris next year, assuming that Dylan goes ahead and moves on to the National Football League. And, um, you know, we've seen Christian Harris. They've done some things. It's been sort of subtle even last year. You know, in some games in which they've they've had the lead and they've been in command, they've used, you know, Christian Harris at the MAC in the dime, right? Which is, you know, typically your every down middle linebacker. That's where you see him in this Alabama defense. So they've already started to show you some things that that's probably going to be the plan for Christian Harris. Uh, and if it is, perhaps that'll help make that transition for him. Yeah, I think Harris to Mike next year makes a whole lot of sense. I don't think there's any doubt about it. You typically don't see the outside guy move inside to take on that role. Typically, it's it's the younger inside guy that just kind of slides over. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, certainly certainly Harris looks like with the year he's had, it looks like he could fit the bill. You noted he's flashed more this year, and, and there's no question about it. It seems like he's made – bigger plays in bigger moments, maybe even in bigger games, despite the fact that production wise, their numbers look roughly the same. Yeah. And, and look again, there, there's more of a freedom to be in that off guy, you know, at the will there, there is. And a lot of times you're put in situations where you're in space more, which if you have that sort of skill set, then you should Uh, make a lot of plays and you should make a lot of tackles, but I don't think there's much doubt. I mean, he's continued to progress throughout the season and uh, certainly come a long way, even since the old miss game. So uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's capable of of playing really any of the linebacker spots, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe it is Mike for him in 2021. Last uh, point on the Alabama football squad before we move on to other matters. Najee Harris creeping ever closer to Derrick Henry's career rushing mark at the University of Alabama. Travis, we talked about this, I think, a week ago. Uh, Your quick update on that chase now. Najee Harris needs 322 yards to break Derrick Henry's career record. The record as it stands is 35-91 and what Najee has left here is two regular season games plus the postseason. So he maintains, uh, it, it, he still remains after 91 yards, I think, against uh, Auburn. He still is on a nice little pace to to finish on top, Travis. Yeah, that touchdown mark as well, you know, with the rushing touchdowns that, uh, as we've talked about, Henry and Ingram tied with 42, and he's just five, uh, as we've talked about there behind. So, you know, he's like Devontae and in you know, getting into sort of how this is going to play out in the lead up from a schedule standpoint to the SEC championship game. 
it absolutely doesn't, in my opinion, benefit Alabama to have to play on the 12th when it was previously not scheduled to play on the 12th. But it looks like that's going to be the case. The SEC, unlike the ACC that we've seen here in the last couple of days, going ahead and giving Clemson and Notre Dame, they're going to preserve that matchup. Doesn't sound like Greg Sankey was thrilled about that move by the ACC. No, no. Well, no. And, um, you know, it, it, it kind of reinforces why you're making Alabama and Florida play the 12th. And we all know what that is. I mean, it's television. You know, you're trying to maximize your, your deal with uh, your television partners. And, you know, CBS and ESPN and SEC Network, uh, they, they want Florida and Alabama playing football, if at all possible. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, you, you don't like it in terms of, especially Alabama looking at back-to-back road games before going to Atlanta. But if there's a potential silver lining in it, part of that, to me, involves giving Najee Harris and Devontae Smith every opportunity to maximize their careers and specifically, you know, where they end up falling on the career list at UA. And I think there's also some benefit as far as COVID-19 goes. You know, you don't have an off weekend. You don't have, you know, 100 players going to 70 different places, right? You, you, you keep them together, and even though you're going on the road, at least you have them in the regimen that is sort of your, your COVID bubble. Yeah, I, I've been, I took a little bit of a glance at, at the running back list for, for the school records and the receiving list for school records, Travis, today. And the one thing that stands out when you look at some of those career listings for rushing and receiving in Alabama, you look at the wide receivers list and the way Devontae Smith is climbing up it, and he's moving past Amari Cooper, Jerry, Judy, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, all guys that played for Saban, right? I mean, I mean you talk about you – t- you're talking about a young group of people – dominating the entire list you look at the running backs list travis there's some guys long in the tooth that are still hanging sean (laughs) allen sean alexander played 20 years ago bobby humphrey played 20 plus years Mm -hmm. ago ken darby played 15 years ago you look over on that wide receivers list though and poor dennis homan's been blasted into oblivion you know out of that top ten. yeah i mean like david palmer you know i mean if you'd have told me back in 1993 that you know deuce and he wasn't around for his full four years so you know that was part of it but you know i it's 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 also interesting from a debate perspective when you talk about the best to ever do it at alabama you know Najee harris may end up the all-time leading rusher at alabama but you're not going to find many people that say he's the best alabama running back of all time same for Devontae smith you're still going to have people that'll fight you in an alley about Julio Jones being the best of all time or Amari. But I think more so than maybe even Najee at the running back position, not to take away anything that he's done. um, I think Devontae Smith, though, is going to be able to stake a claim to the GOAT at the receiver spot. Uh, Not just because of the numbers. You know, you always worry about that, that card on the river, you know, that flop, that last card. Uh, in, 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 in poker. Well, you know what? Devontae's going to have to flop, flop it to flip it there on the river. He's going to have that second 26 against Georgia. 
Yeah. So if you want to, if you want to debate about numbers and this and that, Devontae's going to have that second and 26 up his sleeve. He's right. going to be able to come with, with the hammer, with the hammer. You know, <laughs> I, I know you guys love Julio, but he's going to say, yeah. Dot, dot, dot. yeah. Yeah. And, he's and, the, the and, the guy, and the guy on the next bar stool is just going to shrug those shoulders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What do you want Good. from me? Yeah. Yeah. A little All out right. of order yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in. Going to thank a couple of sponsors that keep us going here on Talking Tide for you really quickly. We're going to start telling you a little bit about North River Dental Associates and former Alabama football player, Dr. Jack Smalley. He's located right off of 82 as you go toward Northport. You make a right on the right uh, Watermelon Road. He's right beside West Alabama Pediatrics, so certainly easy to find. And his professional staff of dental hygienists do outstanding work. They're not going to hurt your gums at all on a routine cleaning. If you haven't been there in a while, you got to get in. You got to get in twice a year to keep those choppers clean, and uh, you can do it a lot of different ways. Give them a call at 752-3506. You can also make an appointment online at northriverdentist.com. You're going to be in and out of there typically in under an hour on a routine cleaning. Travis has got one upcoming. He's going to time that one for us. and Tomorrow, uh, Thursday, yeah. There you go. Next podcast, we'll get that update. And uh, if you need something uh, beyond uh, just a standard cleaning, then they can do it all. Teeth whitening services really popular these days. You got an event coming up, a wedding, what have you. Teeth whitening services, definitely the way to go. Endodontics, dentures, dental implants, pediatric dentistry, laser dentistry, cosmetic dentistry, porcelain veneers. They do it all over at North River Dental. There you go. I'm going to tell you about Heat Pizza Bar in downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Always, always a good time to be had at Heat Pizza Bar. Uh, We absolutely enjoy the pizza there. I've said it before. You've got New York style. You've got Chicago style. Well, you got Tuscaloosa style. And it is the epitome of the Heat Pizza Bar experience. Even better, daily specials, uh, including on Thursdays. I think Thursday's coming up here pretty soon, if I'm not incorrect on that. You've got uh, $6 pepperonis on Thursday nights and $5 cocktails at Heat Pizza Bar. You're not going to beat that. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. also want to tell you about Southern Ale House, our great friends out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. It's always a great time to get to Southern Ale House, but... The holidays certainly bring Southern Ale House to mind. We've had some chilly weather here of late. You know, it's felt more like what this time of year is supposed to feel like. And that typically coincides with that brisket chili making an appearance out there at Southern Ale House. If you get out there, you check the specials board behind the bar at Southern Ale House. Look for that brisket chili. They've been doing some cool stuff with the burgers. They do that on Tuesdays. Burgers and brews all day long at Southern Ale House on Tuesdays. You can get the patty melt. They've got this Jack Daniels burger, good bread. They've been rolling out there. looks like it may have some fried dill pickles, some fried onions on top there with some Jack Daniels barbecue sauce. Looks pretty good. That's the sound of my radar. Jelly burger. (laughs) 
absolutely. I wonder if they put a lime on there for us, too. They probably would. Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. All right, it's the Talk of Tide podcast at podbean.com. Moving on, and uh, we, we'll we go ahead and blow through the rest of the SEC schedule really briefly here and then get to Alabama basketball to close out the show because I did want to devote some time to the Crimson Tide's performance in the Maui Classic. Uh, but first, Travis, quick glance at the SEC games going on elsewhere this week. Texas A&M at Auburn, Florida at Tennessee, South Carolina at Kentucky, Arkansas at Missouri. Does the chalk hold across the board or, or do you see maybe a, an upset anywhere in there? Oh, it's hard to, it's hard to envision one boy. And there are some, how about the road favorites in the league this weekend, Alabama 29 and a half at LSU, Florida uh, laying 17 and a half at Tennessee. Uh, Texas A&M, a seven-point favorite at Auburn. That's the one where my lack of trust for Texas A&M. I know we're out of the month of November, which is typically when A&M has its biggest issues, but A&M was bad enough on offense against LSU, and yeah, you give LSU some credit, but man, that looked like an offense that had been on the sideline for a while. And Kellen Mond, 11 of 34 for 105 yards against LSU. Um, last Saturday night, I have trust issues that are well documented with Texas A&M. So if I were going to go with a, a home dog in the league, it would most certainly be Auburn this week. And so that's, that's one that's got my interest peaked a little bit, Chase. Uh, you know, can A&M not lay the egg with so many eyeballs around the country squarely on the Aggies? Do you th- do you think Texas A&M is extra fortunate to go to Auburn this year with sixty or seventy thousand fewer people in the house? Sure. I mean that that sure to because me, that's the last. No doubt the last and the, because the last time they were there they puked in the fourth quarter had a double digit lead and couldn't get home, and I'm sure that it it, it helped Auburn that it was playing at home in that particular instance. Uh, when it needed some lift and some assistance in a game in which it looked like it was headed to a certain defeat. But, yeah, that helps. Um, and, you know, kind of the problem for Auburn right now, too, as we know, is is injuries. It's a team that's beat up, especially on an offensive line. And there is always one thing, right, that travels well in college football, and that's a good defense. And A&M, uh, as much as anything this year, and that's that's where there's been a – a good bit of improvement in 2020. All right. Alabama basketball closed things out this week in the Maui classic, which was held strangely enough in Asheville, North Carolina. That's 2020 for you. Uh, Alabama now three and one overall, and they go two and one in the Maui classic. None of these games close. They're blown out by Stanford in their opener. Uh, they turn around and beat UNLV handily in their second game, and then they close it out with another resounding win, Travis, over Providence on Wednesday. Uh, your thoughts on on the overall performance? They didn't get what they wanted, but they got what they needed. They needed to get two wins in Asheville, regardless of how it played out. And that's what they got. And so I'd say they built some momentum over the last three halves of the event, the entire game against Stanford uh, was sort of a, a washout. The first half against UNLV was wobbly, I would call it at best. 
Uh, and then they got off to a bit of a slow start on Wednesday night against Providence, but then they answered with a run of their own. And, you know, we're up nine at the half. And some of the areas where you've had some of your biggest concern with this Alabama team and rebounding a big part of that, they were much better on the boards against Providence uh, in that final win in Asheville. 20, point, uh, 20 rebound edge over the Friars there. 18 offensive rebounds in the win over Providence. That was, I think, twice as many offensive boards as they had had in the first two games in Asheville against Stanford and UNLV on the offensive glass. So those were positives. Um, The three-point shooting has gotten better or got better uh, over the course of the event, especially in the second half, Wednesday night, 8 of 12 from three. That got them up over 41% for the game. That's where they need to be with the way they want to play. Uh, you saw John Petty kick it in here in the last couple of games. Josh Primo, the freshman coming off the bench, very good the last couple of games. So it'll be interesting to see how he continues to track uh, as far as even if he's not a starter, uh, more along the lines of starter minutes for Primo, perhaps, uh, and took care of the ball better the last couple of games. Uh, Herb Jones had five turnovers on Wednesday night, but you know, he still contributes in so many different ways, 11 points, uh, eight rebounds, uh, also up there in terms of assists. So you can live with some of that from her. But I'll be interested to see if we don't see more and more Primo on the ball as we move forward here. My thought on the first game against Stanford, which I was able to see nearly all of, was that Alabama's defense probably i didn't think it it played as badly as 82 points allowed might suggest to me stanford just shot the lights out made a lot of contested Mm -hmm. shots um i I think it was one of those games where you kind of got to tip your cap to the to the cardinal uh the the freshman the williams kid who i think was a five-star recruit zaire williams yeah that that, that guy that that guy couldn't miss they had a hand in his Mm -hmm. face a good bit and he and he still stuck it in the hole yeah he's gonna be a lottery pick type and so you can live with some of that um you know defensively there's a lot of newness to this team too in terms of the guys that you're running out there rojas bruner Quinterly, Primo off the bench. Uh, you know, so we, we, we think of newness and we automatically think of, you know, how that can impact teams offensively, but you got to be able to communicate defensively. Uh, there's got to be a sense and a feel for where everybody else is at in terms of help and those type of things. So there's some of that to take into account uh, as well, but uh, it's still a team, obviously still trying to find its feet and, you know, it's, I think it's only four games still in the month of December before they get into league play. I think they go to, they go to Atlanta on the 12th to take on Clemson. And then they get a couple of Southern conference games here in town, um, with Furman and ETSU sandwiched around a really, really tall order in the Houston Cougars at Coleman Coliseum. So the good news for Alabama is, uh, it does come home really for the most of the month of uh, December. Uh, and then it's right into SEC play. Yeah, it's uh, the honeymoons are short in the non-conference season this, this year, aren't they? They're jumping yeah. in. I, I, I guess, uh, uh, you know, the normal non-conference season runs all the way to pretty much the new year and lots of time to figure out 
substitution patterns, things like that. These, these coaches are going to be in the SEC play before they've got a lot of that stuff totally figured out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you don't have as, as much of a ramp up um, because I mean, you didn't start playing games until November the 25th. So before you know it, that weekend or that, that stretch midweek of, I guess it's, is it December 28th, 29th, something like that? Uh, it, it's going to get up on you quickly. That's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Be sure to join us for the Sunday nighter when we recap the Alabama LSU game. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television, and we'll talk to you next time right here on Talking Tide.